coming to theaters across the U.S. on March 20th and 21st, an epic film on Noah's Flood. This film unveils compelling evidence in support of the Bible, including what happened to the dinosaurs? Why do we find soft tissues and blood in their bones today? Why did God send the flood? What are the parallels between the days of Noah and the coming judgment? Mark your calendars for March 20th, 21st, and be prepared to experience the Genesis flood like never before. Get your tickets today at www.noahsflood.com. This is a production of the Ultimate Homeschool Radio Network. Welcome to the Flourish at Home Show. Your host, Mary Jo Tate, is an international book editor, the homeschooling mom of four boys, and the author of Flourish, Balance for Homeschool Moms. Mary Jo loves to help moms find peace, order, and balance by sharing practical tips, inspiration, and encouragement. Visit her website at flourishathome.com. And now, here's your host, Mary Jo Tate. Welcome to the Flourish at Home show. I'm Mary Jo Tate, and today's episode is about homemaking with a grateful heart. Laundry and dishes and dust. Oh my, laundry and dishes and dust. Do you ever feel like you're walking through a dark, creepy forest, but instead of the unknown threats of lions and tigers and bears, you're facing a never-ending pile of laundry and dishes and dust? Homeschooling moms understand that training our children, making family memories, and managing our homes are important activities that can have an impact far beyond our own front door. But sometimes the busyness of life can be overwhelming and tempt us to forget the profound significance of our work. When I surveyed moms about their biggest challenges, chores and the daily duties of maintaining a household showed up frequently in their answers to my questions about what frustrates them most. Yet in a few cases, they also showed up in response to the question about what brings them the greatest satisfaction. One mom told me, what brings me the greatest satisfaction is having a clean home with a well-maintained schedule. Another mom said that she feels satisfied when she's had a productive day of homeschooling, prepared three healthy meals, and gotten enough work done. However, many more moms feel burdened by running a home. I appreciated one mom's transparency in sharing her struggles. She said, I really have problems getting motivated for my at-home duties. I love to go and explore and experience with my kids, and I get so overwhelmed and under-enthused about what I have to do at home that I often accomplish less in a full day than I do in a day where I try to get as much as possible done by noon so that we can go somewhere. I understand these challenges. I'll be really honest here. I don't enjoy housework, and I often begrudge the time that it takes. But the fact is that the work of managing a home, feeding our families, keeping everything running smoothly, and doing chores, is simply a necessary part of daily life. The issue isn't really the chores themselves, though. The real issue is our attitude toward them. 
I love what Brother Lawrence, a 17th century French monk, wrote about being as close to God in the kitchen as he was in prayer. He said, Lord of all pots and pans and things, make me a saint by getting meals and washing up the plates. Even with tasks that can seem small, mundane, or boring, we can honor God by viewing them as willing service done for His glory. Being thankful for our blessings makes a huge difference. Many years ago, I read an article by Gigi Graham Shavijan, daughter of Billy and Ruth Graham, that addressed the importance of our attitude. She and her family were living in the Middle East at the time, and they didn't have the conveniences that most moms take for granted, such as a washer and dryer. She boiled her baby's diapers in a large pot in the stove, and she washed her other laundry in the bathtub. Her mother wrote to her to express her concern, but added, I am so thankful that you have clothes to wash and hands and soap with which to wash them. This story had such a powerful influence on my attitude toward housework that the yellowed crumbling magazine page is still taped in my pantry as a reminder to be grateful, not resentful. Taking care of your home is a necessity. How you accomplish those tasks, though, is a matter of preference, priority, and choice. Here are four options you might want to consider. Some of you are not going to like this first option, and some of you will be relieved to hear it. You can lower your standards. Family relationships are more important to me than an immaculate house. I just have too many other commitments to do all of the daily, weekly, monthly, quarterly, and yearly cleaning tasks that are recommended in some homemaking books. Did you ever look at some of those lists? They seem impossible to me. My house might not pass the white glove test, but it's clean enough, sanitary enough, and orderly enough, and I can live with that. A second approach is multitasking while you are doing basic household chores. You can review phonics, math facts, or spelling with a child while you're cooking dinner. While you're folding laundry, you can talk on the phone, watch an educational video, or listen to an inspirational podcast. Sometimes you really can get two things done at once. Option three is delegating housework to your children. I discuss this option in detail in Episode 6, Training Your Children. Last, you can outsource housework to hired help. Outsourcing is an especially useful option if you have a home business. Compare the hourly value of the time you spend on business to the hourly cost of hiring household help. You may discover that you come out ahead in terms of both time and money by paying for a cleaning service. You'll also be blessing someone else who needs the work. It's really important to make peace with your own homemaking style. One precious single mom shared her heart in response to my question about her frustrations. She said, More than anything, I want to be a good homemaker. It bothers me that I cannot pour my heart into that. However, I'm extremely thankful to be able to work from home and stay with my children. I also love my work, but it's just difficult to manage good homemaking and website design with homeschooling. Well, I agree. It's definitely a tough challenge. Wanting to be a good homemaker is a worthy biblical goal. But it's important not to get caught up in false guilt from comparing yourself to your friends or trying to meet other people's standards. Being a good homemaker doesn't mean doing everything exactly the way you read about it in a book. If you're feeling guilty for not living up to someone else's standards, consider the uniqueness of your circumstances. 
Who wrote the books about homemaking? Are they homeschooling? Are they running a home business? Are they single moms? Do they have as many children as you do? Do they struggle with a chronic illness? Are their recommendations a good fit for your family? Consider what it means for you to be a good homemaker with your own irreducible facts, the circumstances of your life that you can't change, and then find peace in the space between the ideal and reality. Cleaning and organizing your home is much more difficult when you have too many possessions. Many of the moms I talk with are really frustrated in this area. They say things like, I'm drowning in stuff, or we never can find our things. One coaching client who shared some of her challenges in managing her time sent me a list of what she called time vampires. Over half the items on her list had to do with possessions. This is the single most important rule for dealing with your stuff. A place for everything and everything in its place. Searching for things that aren't where they should be wastes a lot of time, and this simple rule helps prevent both inefficiency and frustration. Begin now to designate specific homes for all of your stuff, including items like your purse, keys, cell phone, shoes and clothes, mail, books and school supplies, art and craft supplies, sports equipment, toys, music, movies and games, photographs and memorabilia, important papers, cleaning supplies, pet supplies, tools, and whatever else you have in your home. Let's use clothes as an example. There are only a few appropriate places for clothes. They should be on your body, in a laundry basket, in the washer or dryer, on the clothesline, in a basket to be folded, or better yet, folded as soon as they come out of the dryer, or in the appropriate closet or drawer. This means there shouldn't be dirty socks or even clean ones scattered around the family room. Can you tell I have four boys? No one should have to hunt for the right shoes when the rest of the family is ready to leave for church. Make sure that each of your children has a shelf, basket, or other storage area for school books, notebooks, and supplies so they won't waste learning time searching for a missing math book. It must be around here somewhere. Keep pens and pencils available in every room. If you have the space, provide an area where projects in progress, such as jigsaw puzzles, art, or Lego creations, can be left out for people to work on and enjoy whenever they have time. Train your children early to take care of their own stuff and to put everything away in its proper place. But remember that organization is a means to an end, not the end in itself. Dr. Marianne Froelich reminds us, let us view our organization systems as tools to help our families, not see our families as enemies of our organization systems. We'll discuss more strategies for organization in a future episode of the Flourish at Home show. One good way to stay in control of your stuff is to edit it. I'm a freelance book editor, and when I edit a manuscript, I add some things, rearrange some, and delete others. The same strategies can apply to stuff. Here's a decision-making process that you can use when you're trying to edit your stuff. The two basic categories are keep it or get rid of it. If you keep it, you have to store it somewhere, so designate a place for it. Maybe you need to add some storage boxes, bookcases, or filing cabinets. Or maybe you need to rearrange some things to use your storage space more efficiently. If you can't create a place for something, you shouldn't keep it. If you haven't used it or worn it in a year, you can probably get rid of it. If you're going to get rid of it, you can sell it, give it away, or throw it away. 
If you're going to sell it, you can have a yard sale, sell it on eBay, or take it to a consignment shop. If you're going to give it away, you can share it with families in your church, neighborhood, or homeschool group, or donate it to a local charity. If it's not good enough to sell or give away, just throw it away and don't look back. That stuff is not useful to anyone anymore, but it's just occupying space in your house and in your mind. It's a burden, and you need to get rid of it. I experienced the power of editing my stuff back in 2005. I had several friends who made a lot of money on eBay, so I used to shop at yard sales every Saturday to collect things to sell on eBay. Someday. Finally, I realized that just wasn't a part of my business plan, so all those boxes of stuff were just a burden occupying space in my house and in my mind. I'd spent money on those things, but I wasn't going to sell them on eBay, and I didn't have time to hold a yard sale. When Hurricane Katrina hit, a lot of refugees from the Gulf Coast of Mississippi traveled north, and there was a huge relief effort here in Tupelo. I donated all of my eBay inventory, including nice clothes, books, toys, games, home furnishings, kitchen supplies, linens, and more. It was such a relief to get rid of all those boxes and to be able to bless hurting people with things they desperately needed. If your schedule won't accommodate a big block of time to edit your stuff, do it a little bit at a time. Right now, I'm in the middle of another major decluttering project, but I'm doing it a little at a time. One day I worked on it for three straight hours, but several other days I worked for just a few minutes on one small task, and I'm making progress. Eventually I will have added, rearranged, and deleted enough stuff to make a real difference in our home. Like housework and organizing, cooking is a delight for some moms and a burden to others. Frankly, I often begrudge the time it takes to prepare a healthy meal. At one time I should have bought stock and hamburger helper. This is another area where you have to find the right balance between the ideal and reality. For example, even though canned vegetables are so convenient, and that's what I grew up with, I'm trying to use more frozen and fresh produce because it's healthier. Our attempts to have a garden have been a flop in our soggy, shady soil, so we buy fresh vegetables at the grocery store or the farmer's market. However, I still keep our pantry stocked with canned goods for weather emergencies and super busy days. Canning your own produce and baking from scratch can be healthy, economical, and delicious, but they're also very time-consuming. Figure out what works best for your family, and don't take on a burden of false guilt just because you don't prepare meals like Supermom. Slow cookers can be a busy mom's best friend. You can start supper in the morning while your energy is high, and then enjoy a hot meal in the evening. They're also a great way to avoid heating up the kitchen with the oven on a sweltering summer day. One of my favorite strategies is to cook once, eat twice. When I'm cooking supper, I always make enough so that we can have leftovers for lunch or supper the next day. Many moms are fans of once-a-month cooking. I haven't done that on a large scale, but I do buy large quantities of ground beef when it goes on sale, brown it all, use some for tacos for supper that night, and then freeze the rest so it will be handy to add to recipes later. You can stock your freezer gradually by cooking two casseroles at a time and making double batches of soup or muffins. Eat some and freeze some for later. Teaching your children to cook is a tremendous help and a great investment of your time. All of my boys know how to cook for themselves and for the family. This frees some of my time for other tasks and helps them develop an important life skill. 
when you open the last package of some item, add it to the list, and train your children to do the same. Using a printed list helps you remember essentials and makes it easier for everyone in the household to update the list. Keeping track of typical prices for common items helps you know when sales are good enough to stock up. As often as possible, eat meals as a family, especially supper. For a long time, I was very slack about this whenever life got crazy, and now I really regret that. As my boys are getting older and starting to head off to college, I cherish our time together even more. Learn to enjoy a relaxed conversation rather than rushing through the meal. Ignore the phone if it rings and keep cell phones away from the table so no one is tempted to text. Focus on the people who are present at the table. This is a good practice when you're eating out at a restaurant as well. Sharing a meal with friends is a great way to enjoy godly fellowship. The home is a place of service as well as a refuge for the family. Thinking in terms of hospitality rather than entertaining removes the pressure to perform and helps you serve from a mindset of ministry. As you tackle the laundry and dishes and dust, oh my, guard your heart and your attitude and exchange resentment for gratitude and cheerful service. Even the seemingly small task of our daily duties make a difference. I'll leave you today with an encouraging reminder from the Micah Mandate by Dr. George Grant. He writes, Most of the grand, glorious, headline-making events through the ages have been little more than backdrops to the real drama of greengrocers, village cobblers, next-door neighbors, and grandfathers. Despite all the hype, hoopla, and hysteria of sensational turns of events, the ordinary people who tend their gardens and raise their children and perfect their trades and mind their businesses are the ones who make or break a culture, just as they always have, just as they always will. Thanks for tuning in to the Flourish at Home show. For more encouragement, visit Mary Jo at flourishathome.com. The Flourish at Home show is a production of the Ultimate Homeschool Radio Network.